Hello and welcome back to Something Rotten Season 3. It has been several years since Season 2 and you've been begging us, you've been knocking at our door saying, please come back, talk about violent nihilistic video games. We miss you boys. And so we're here. My name is Jacob Geller. I am here with Blake Hester. It was a massive oversight to give our audience our addresses. Because they keep showing up. They're like, hey, hey, where's the episodes? And I was like, hey, does cop someone get this man out of my apartment? And I gotta say, the people who specifically are like, you need to talk about Manhunt are not the people <laughs> I want showing up at my door. And you know, I don't want to put them out on the street. So now I just live with several of them. It's like a little share house I got going on here. Well, they saw you in Manhunt, and they said, oh, look, it's the character in the game. That's right. You only hear about something rotten. It's the dishes these guys are leaving all over the place. A a great start to our returning (laughs) podcast series. Uh, In this miniseries, we are going to be talking about uh, Rockstar's infamous Manhunt series. Manhunt 1, Manhunt 2, and then some of the various influences, development history, all of that. We're going to get into it. This episode is going to be covering the first half of Manhunt 1, as well as its release, its reception, whatever other things we're talking about. Um, And then stay tuned for the rest of the series, uh, because I've never played these games, which is a first for uh, us doing this podcast. You know, I had played Max Payne 3, I had played Kane and Lynch. These are totally new to me. I think crucially, uh, if anyone wants to play along at home, we should specify that we played chapters 1 through 10. Yes, there are 20 chapters and 4 bonus chapters, which we may or may not get to, depending on how no. much of a pain in the ass the second half no, of this I'm game is. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Jacob, let me ask you at the top, because I've been dying to know one simple thing. Mm-hmm. Because we we have not talked about this game other than like various patches or like mods we've had to install right. to get it running. Do you like Manhunt? Mm, I think it's interesting. I am glad yeah. I'm playing it. I think is mm-hmm. the answer. Like I'm not I'm not angry that we picked this. We had we had talked about in the last season doing Condemned Criminal Origins and then Condemned 2 as our next series. And then when we were talking about restarting this, it was like Manhunt just seems more interesting. And it is a fascinating game. Uh but yeah. it is also really just a pain in the ass a lot of the time um sure. and so we'll uh i don't know we'll get into all of that what's your when did you when was the first time you played this game 2019 i remember i i like it's weird how specifically i remember it but it's just because of the apartment i was living in at the time but i played it in 2019 because i wanted to write a thing about it and then never wrote a thing about it but um i didn't even play as far as we have played now. I think I ended right around there's a level in a mall. I think that was the last mm-hmm. level I played. And what I I think why I never finished was I was playing the PS4 version of it, um, which is effectively just like a PS2 kind of upscaled slightly. And it's just miserable to play on console. Um, so I never got super, super far. So this is my first like earnest experience with Manhunt. And you know what? I'm going to say I feel like maybe I'm a little hotter on it than you seem to be. Mm-hmm. No, I'm really, I'm excited to talk about it. Another interesting thing about this, just in kind of like the meta story of this podcast, is 
we have this kind of uh, collective agreement on what rotten games are. Like, it's just this kind of category that you and I, like, understand, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's totally a something rotten game. And this is maybe the earliest instance of a game that fits. I mean, certainly the earliest we've done on this show, and I was just trying to think of, like, games released before this that would fit the criteria and it's really hard to come up with any and so uh, i guess when when i say like something rotten game what is kind of your definition what (laughs) what pops into your brain i mean it's nastiness and that doesn't mean like a specific like aesthetic like there's a lot of gore or just like a gross general like it is a game that is nasty inherently (laughs) you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. its themes its presentation are all kind of designed to if not make you feel bad make you think of like negative things negative themes like max Payne 3 is not a game that's like you know fuck you feel terrible but it's not a game looking to make you feel good manhunt on the other hand from the jump every moment of that game is trying to make you feel like shit um and so that's usually what i'm looking for is like is the game trying to evoke a negative emotion and then explore a negative emotion through that framework i also think a kind of important distinction is they're always kind of they're about the nastiness you know it's not it's not like incidental it's not like this is a game that's about i don't know like drug trafficking and also Mm. it's gross it's like the grossness is kind of the point and especially with you know like kane and lynch one and two it's like those games aren't about anything except being just horrible um and and this this is almost it's it's funny that this is the earliest game on the list but maybe it makes sense because this is like the purest form it's like there's nothing getting in the way of this being just like a fucking vile game and there's there's almost no story there's actually kind of a lot of dialogue but it's never you know it's never like telling you about anything it's just like it is a game where you kill people extremely violently and that's kind of the whole thing and actually i do want to bring this up just at the beginning i was reading reviews of this and the the chicago tribune uh, review of this game by levi buchanan made the claim manhunt is easily the most violent game ever made which you know this game came out in what 2003 you know, so obviously there have been many more games made since then, but it's just like that is a hell of a claim to just like lay out in a review. I think it's both true and not true. Like on the one hand, you could argue any GTA is more violent because you can just like commit mass murder sprees in public spaces. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the way the violence is presented. You know, it's it's kind of like that fucking last of us argument like you really feel it like there's weight to it but like you really do right like and it you can kind of like fine-tune the violence how violent you want it and because it like zooms in and it kind of revels in the gore even if the body count isn't super high it feels so much nastier than something like a postal which is like way Mm -hmm. more like celebrating its violence than a gta or even a manhunt like this feels so much more grisly yeah, it's it's almost shocking how low the body count is in this game. You know, it's like when you finish a level, it's like, oh, you killed like 15 people, which yeah. 
is obviously a lot of people to kill, but it's like, on a standard Resident Evil 4 level, you know, you're knocking out, like, 70 Ganados, <laughs> and yeah. so, like, it is, it, it's like, it's, it's kind of slow, and it's quiet, and I guess, why don't we start by just, like, you know, if people have never played Manhunt, never looked at the game, just like, what is the loop? What is, like, the gameplay loop? Because I think that's one of the things that's so bizarre is how, like, stripped down it is. How, like, yeah. little there is to the game. Well, in Manhunt, you play as James Earl Cash. <laughs> A video game name if there ever was one. Okay, also, James Earl Jones, famous actor. James Earl Cash, just the name they decided. I don't know we've... if James Earl is a common, you know, first two names. I just typed in James Earl, and you do get a few results that aren't just James Earl Jones. Like, you got a James Earl Ray here. So, like, maybe James Earl is a is a common combination. I don't know. It's it's maybe not that important. Oh, wait, here's yeah. a FBI.gov James Earl Ray. Former 10 Most Wanted Fugitive. Wait, oh, I wonder... We're, di this... we're discovering things in real time. Wait, is this... Oh, this is the convicted killer of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So... Should we uh... have known... <laughs> Jesus <laughs> should, Christ. Should we have known that offhand? Maybe. Um, okay, so he plays James Earl Cash, a serial killer who is on death row, and when he is being put onto... The table for lethal injection, it's a little unclear. All of a sudden, you just kind of warp in time, and you're not dead. And right. there is a voice in your ear basically telling you, hey, I'm giving you a new chance, a second lease on life. But to do so, you have to effectively play my game. And the game is, for James Earl Cash, the game is, you know, you are taking part in a snuff film. You will be killing people for the production of this film that this director who is now in your ear kind of telling you where to go and what to do it's for him and whoever his you know customers may be and so that creates the actual game of manhunt where you are going through these levels fighting these different gangs throughout carcer city the fictional city where this takes place um killing really as many or as little people as you want i don't think you can do a no death run there definitely are no there where you there are like a few where it's like kill everyone but yeah i mean yeah. like watching watching like a speed run of this it's like oh yeah. damn they run right past almost everyone yeah. in this level so the loop of the game then becomes you know standard go here do this um but you you have this this killing system that basically operates on three levels of violence you know it's it's a stealth game and it's it adheres very closely to that stealth. It's like you almost never want to be fighting more than one person. Like it reminds me a lot of like early Splinter Cells, how hardcore they could kind mm -hmm. of be about it. Um, so you're stalking through the shadows, following enemies who don't always have like very hard and fast like pathing through a level. Which oh I find oh no, cool. they don't. <laughs> yeah, no. like which which like you'd think a game from 2003 it might have a more rudimentary pathing, but I've found it a little more dynamic. Um, and then when you approach one, you know, you'll like kind of hold the attack button. You'll have a, a blinker on screen. It's like white, yellow, and red, white. And it's always, yellow. it's like, you gotta sneak up behind them. You know, yeah, there, yeah. there is like, there is a melee combat system that you can do kind of, but it's like killing one guy is going to take like half your health because there's just yeah. no way to do it cleanly. So yeah, you sneak up behind them and then go on. 
And then, you know, you do the white, which is the quickest, just they're out yellow, a little more nasty, takes a little longer to get there. Or if you really want to press your luck, you can wait till you get the red blinker, which honestly is a gamble every time because it takes so long to get there. They might turn around, someone else might see them, but then you are treated to, honestly, I don't know, this game is 19 years old. Still, some of the deaths in this are like hard to watch. I watched my man put a sickle up someone's ass last night yeah like oh yeah well i think I, I think the implication is he is castrating them maybe <laughs> oh maybe um, yeah but it's it's so it's so weird looking because yeah it's like you have you have this like gruesomeness of the death system but what it looks like in the game is you're just standing behind someone with a weapon raised for like 10 seconds if you want <laughs> this like red if you want the most gory kill and there's i was thinking about there's an interesting interview with the the people who made uh the the batman arkham games where they were talking about like how to make stealth not frustrating and what they said is like eventually we realized that guards could just not turn around 180 degrees you know like if they were walking one way and turned around immediately then it would just be frustrating and you kind of didn't know when they would do it and you would just be in the dark and then you'd be spotted and people flip around 180 degrees constantly in this game, you know, oh, with very yeah. little warning of just, like, you're there, you got your knife raised, you're like, maybe I'll wait for, like, one more second, and then suddenly you are spotted and in a fist fight, and they've called all their friends, and you're, you know, you die almost immediately. And there's no option in the save menu to reload a checkpoint. You kind of just have to stand there and let them kill you so you can try again, which is <laughs> yeah. a bit frustrating if you ask me. But that's effectively Manhunt. Um, I feel like if you're if you're listening to something rotten, you may know what it is. I'm not sure everyone's played it. And honestly, I maybe this will still get the conversation going. I would recommend more so than like Kane and Lynch 1. You know, this is one of the games I think listeners should check out and play along with us this game i'm finding like infinitely fascinating it is it is so it is so fascinating like for anything else you can say about the game it almost felt i'll tell you my first impression which was like one of the things that you know about this game going in is that it is a rock star game which especially today means literally the biggest like media entertainment properties released in a given year you know that that grand theft auto 5 has made more money than any Mm -hmm. movie ever blah 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 this almost feels like a solo dev project (laughs) you know like if this if this came game came out today i think it could almost be made by one person yeah except there's a lot of levels with a lot of different stuff the director is Brian Cox. You have like Brian Cox t- talking in your ear. And and there is this kind of level of effort in very weird places that you wouldn't expect. But like it's playing it feels like Hitman if you took 95% of the systems out of that <laughs> game. Because it's like you know there's there is really very little melee combat to speak of you have very few options when you're doing stealth you kind of just do the same thing over and over which is sneak up behind a guy and then like knock him on the head it is so stripped down in in a gameplay sense and a story sense and kind of an aesthetic sense that it's almost unbelievable that it came from 
the same people who were even at the time making Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because, like, this did come out, you know, GTA 3 hit in 2001, GTA Vice City hit in 2002. So this was following, like, this wasn't like, you know, or pre-GTA 3 Rockstar right. when things might have been more stripped down. I mean, there is something to say, like, especially at that time, Rockstar was pumping games out of vastly varying quantities. Like, they were also doing, like, Austin Powers 3, 3 8, whatever that game was called. Austin Powers uh-huh. Obehave, you know, and they had, like, I think a, a surfing or wakeboarding game. Like, they were, they put out some pure turds back then so it doesn't make it does make sense from that perspective that like this game you know is not going to have all of the production sheen that a gta might across the board except for brian cox Mm -hmm. who is honestly really good in this game like oh yeah no he's he's killing it but like it's funny to hear you bring that up because last night i was thinking about like if Manhunt came out today, I would just download it on Steam for like three dollars and be like, "Damn, two people made this cool." <laughs> right it would on. it would be like, was this a mobile game? Like, it's yeah. kind of interesting, but also, did this come from yeah, or like someone learning to use Unity? The development of Manhunt is also really interesting because like Rockstar famously back then kind of had a very rapid production schedule. Like GTA Vice City was made in less than a year, which is uh, still insane to think about. Oh, yeah. Today. Just, like, uh, uh, probably uh, inhumane in 14 different ways. Yeah. But Manhunt, as like people have said elsewhere, and I've heard like was in production for a long time. Like, I've seen some reports that it was, like, mid-90s, which feels incorrect to me. Uh, But it was definitely, like, in development, I would say, before GTA 3 came out. So Mm -hmm. this had, like, floated around for a while, and I think had gone through a few iterations. And it, it came effectively from a guy, two guys there, Christian Cantamessa, who I think did GTA 3's, like, cinematic camera. Like, he was the one who kind of kick-started that whole thing mm-hmm. where you can, like, zoom out and watch the car drive. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, kind of make your own little movies with it. Um, himself and who he calls his co-creator, Alan Davidson. I don't think there's actually a director credit in the game. So, like, Christian is... Oh, no, it's it's Brian Cox, of course. The director <laughs> oh, credit. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I think Christian is. That's very funny. He's credited as like the lead level designer, co-writer, and I guess he would say he's the co-creator, but Mm -hmm. it just seems to me like he's the director of the game. But um, they had this idea, which I think is really cool and maybe a little ahead of the the curb when you think about games like um, Amnesia, maybe, or Outlast. Like, they had this idea for a game where you're hiding and being chased, which... It's interesting because a lot of the game, a lot of games, you're kind of the chaser, you know. Yeah. Um, and then they were trying to just figure out what that story might be. And at some point, Sam Hauser had said he really wanted to make a horror game, but in typical Rockstar, you know, zig when they zag fashion, they were like, "I want to make a horror game, but there's no zombies." No vampires, no monsters, none of that stuff. Yeah. Just make it scary. <laughs> instead, instead, we have uh, broad racial stereotypes. <laughs> right. And, you know, um, the visionary Sam Hauser is, he didn't actually have any real ideas. He trusted someone else to have that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, make a horror game. And uh, Christian and Alan did it. And they. so so I, I'm pulling a lot of this from a masterclass Christian gave, which you can found on, find on YouTube. I think you just type in, like, Christian Canamessa Manhunt, and it'll pop up. It's really interesting. Um, 
But the game, I guess, kickstarted just from a piece of concept art Alan had done. He's kind of like a comic book illustrator, and he has, I think it's like mm-hmm. a, oh, From Hell. Who's that author? You know who I'm talking about? Uh, well, oh, Alan Moore? Yeah, I think he has a similar art style to like Alan Moore. So he had okay. done a piece where there was an underpass, and the player character was running away, but you could kind of only see their shadow. And then there were the shadows of the people chasing him, and... Christian says, when I saw that image, I immediately thought of Clockwork Orange, which is interesting because I believe that is what um, the Toronto Star review, they compared it to Clockwork yes. Orange. Yes, or, or um, Chicago Tribune, yeah, the, the most violent game ever made one, which is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, which is kind of cool that they, they like succeeded, you know, when yeah. they were like, this is a cultural touch point for where we're starting. And when it finished, people were like, yeah, we get, we get the connection here. So what where Christian took that was he said, I thought, wouldn't it be scary if you were the bum, the homeless guy that gets beaten up by this gang? And that kind of is where the genesis, as told by, you know, one person on a team who made this of Manhunt. This is where the actual idea came from. Mm-hmm. And then he had a funny quote here where he said, I made James a serial killer because that's what you do when you're in your 20s and you're creating scary stories <laughs> which I thought was a very funny detail but I think the I think the idea of the game is like where it came from is really cool and like kind of ahead of its time because there's a lot of those horror games now that like don't even give you any combat like it is all about like you are the mouse you know like you no, it's are really... the hunted yeah it 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 like it puts the gameplay in a really interesting place to think of this as a horror game because it is, you know, there are a lot of stealth games that are immensely tense. You know, when yeah. you're when you're in the 40th minute of a Metal Gear Solid 5 mission and you haven't been spotted, like, that's tense as hell, but I would never mm-hmm. call Metal Gear Solid 5 a horror game. But this is, you know, like, it is stealth and you are empowered kind of because you are killing most of the people in the levels but at the same time you feel so weak in this game just just unbelievably vulnerable all the time and there are places and i'm sure we will talk about these when we get into kind of the individual levels where it's like you'll be doing really good you'll be kind of successfully sneaking through a level and someone will just scream and start running at you in a way that is genuinely horrifying in in, in kind of like in the way where like a a person yelling and running at you is kind of scarier than like yeah. a monster. You know the scene you know the scene in in Get Out where uh you know the main character is out at night and he sees kind of the like one of the people who works at the house just like sprinting straight at him and yeah. then turns away. It's like it's like that of just like, I don't know why this is happening. And and you're kind of immediately put into shock. And and then in gameplay, the generally the kind of right thing to do in those situations is you do run away. Like you run and you hide. And it doesn't feel like you're repositioning really. It feels like you're hiding because if you get into a fight, you will probably die. Tell me tell me about your experience playing this game. Now that we have all our background information, walk me through, yes. you know, starting out the first couple levels, getting your bearings, and, you know, 
figuring out how to play this game because it does have a bit of a learning curve. Yeah, I mean, so like the the first thing that I noticed was just like, oh man, I am slow. Like just <laughs> just a slow walker. You know, you've got kind of one of the interesting things about playing this on PC is that I believe on controller there's a lot in terms of kind of like how far you are tilting the thumbstick for like mm. walking speed to to you know kind of just pacing to running. Um but on PC, you know, you've only got you can run, you can walk and then you can walk really slowly. And when you run, you make noise and noise is bad. And so, like, pretty quickly, I was like, okay, well, I won't be running very much. And so you are just pacing through these levels so slowly. And I um, I also thought they're, getting this to run on PC is kind of a trial. Um, I thought that the game was skipping cutscenes because I was like, there is no way that it is this sparse right out the gate yeah. with like the setup. Uh, but no, in fact, that is just how it works is that it gives you a 30 second. You were on death row. You're not on death row anymore. Go kill these guys. And then the game just starts. Um, and then it hands you a plastic bag and you uh, smother someone with it. Yeah. And it's funny. <laughs> the director like kind of builds you up. There's, there's really, I almost said a sexual undertone to it. I would say it's not an undertone at all. It's very overt, and the murder is sexual. Like, it is, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and there's, like, old-school rock star jokes in here where you kill someone, the director's like, I just came, and it's like, okay, well, it was a little more, it was a little smarter when you didn't say that explicitly, but um, <laughs> right. from the jump, this game is, like, equating sex and death, but it's very funny at the end, like, the director's like, oh, my God, you're going to get this dude, like, get him, get him, get him, and then he's like, I'll be honest with you, we we set him up, he was a decoy, and, <laughs> like, right. I thought it was interesting to be like, that happens within the first five minutes of the game, and it's immediately Manhunt is telling you, life, there is no value to anyone's life in this game, we can just put people in yeah. front of you to kill with, with no problem, like, there's no, like, conflict here. Yeah, one of one of the the kind of disconnects while you're playing it is that you as James Earl Cash are so slow and so weak and and have to play things so carefully. But then you have the director talking in your ear and and one of the things that, you know, people talked about a lot when this game came out is like if you had like a a headset yeah. You know, like, they would separate the audio channels, so you would kind of have, like, the walking around, and then you would have Brian Cox, like, hey, go kill him. Get him. Get him. <laughs> you know, he's right there. <laughs> and and he is constantly egging you on to be more aggressive and more violent and, like, do things faster. But you as a player, you know, everything in your in your kind of, like, video gamer sense is being like no i have to go really slowly because i can be killed so easily and so it's like he has a vision of what he wants you to play like that is pretty different than uh, certainly your first playthrough how you'll get through the game yeah well it's also like he is creating a movie you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. you he it's it's kind of a really cool and fascinating way it's like the, the way the game is bouncing its gameplay and story together is like this guy is trying to make you be more creative within the game, which we'll get into mm -hmm. later, actually goes against maybe the theme of the game. 
which it's like maybe you know it's it's so rote these days but like this is a game about violence and our relationships to games and violence but i actually find like the director makes yeah. it a way more interesting take on it than something like God of War 2018, which is, like, the obvious cliche example these days. But, like, that director, the way he is, like, literally trying to craft a film out of this is, like, very cool. And and the the most striking aesthetic part of the game, because a lot of this game looks incredibly dingy mm-hmm. and, and kind of samey and not, you know just ugly to look at is when you do one of these sneak up behind someone kills it cuts to like film or like like you know shot on a shitty vhs camcorder close-ups of you killing the people you know it's like it breaks from the normal third person perspective to show like a shot from below or a shot from above or whatever of you you know grabbing a guy and stabbing his eyes out and and so that is like every time you do that the game is reminding you hey this is this is a movie you're doing this because it's a snuff film this is being like captured on camera and at the end it on the end of each level it ranks you it gives you a points and a star system based on how you know how exciting you made it look basically which i think is calculated by the quickness of your kills and you know how often you go for the super violent option and all that stuff are you are you go okay so are are you going for the more violent ones how are you playing the game it it honestly it depends on how many times i've died in a level you know like like okay. when if i see someone and i think i have a good opportunity where it's like they're going to be walking in one direction for a while i will try and especially when when i have a melee weapon that i have not seen the options for and this is this mm-hmm. is kind of where like gamers are sickos comes into it it's like yeah. i do want to see what the most violent kill with the hammer looks like you know like i'm curious or like yeah. i've got a sickle what happens if i go all the way to the red versus the yellow you know if if i have failed at a section d- 10 times in a row i'm not going to be doing anything special i'm just going to be kind of getting them out of the row but uh, but like it is you know it is incentivizing you to like just because of kind of your natural curiosity it's like i want to see what animations are in this game because the previous ones have been so disgusting actually here's what i want to talk about grand theft auto one of one of the things that you can easily say about that series is like man they establish a place Mm -hmm. you know when you're in Vice City, it's like, I know Vice City. Look at this. People live here. They got yeah. a bank. They got a restaurant. This game, uh, which remind me of the, the name of the location. Carcer City. Carcer City. Yeah. A, a very clever pun. Uh, Wait, hold on. Does not what? feel like... It. Sorry, oh. what's the pun? Uh, like incarceration. Oh, that's very, <laughs> that's very good. That's very good. <laughs> we got there um it does not feel like anywhere you know like it's like i have never i have never been in like a video game location that's been less like this was ever a place that people lived you know it's just like completely bombed out apartment buildings and the only people there are like insane gang members wearing baby masks can i i think 
this this is gonna sound insane, but I think this world design is my favorite video game aesthetic. Well, that look, that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> it's what I like to refer to as Max Payne One world design, where mm-hmm. it's basically New York. It's just New York. It is New York City through the eyes of uh, people who aren't weren't born into New York. Well, yeah, it's it's like it's it's the escape from New York yeah. aesthetic, you know, like where it's like it, it's essentially now how like Republican politicians conceptualize New York, which is like it's apocalypse there. Like you can't even walk down the street without getting yeah. stabbed. And it's like that's just what they did here for real. Well, I think it's also like pre, uh, you know, the. the this I I don't say this as over an overtly positive thing, but it's like a pre Giuliani type New York as well. Like it's what people how mm-hmm. it's how New York obviously wasn't actually like this in like the seventies and eighties, but it was closer to this. It was seedier. Yeah, and, you had you had your porn shops in Times Square, that sort yeah, of yeah, and people in you know Edinburgh, Scotland will you know extrapolate that as like. New York is a war zone, you know, like I have to my my duty as someone who lived to correct your pronunciation mm, of Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland. That's right. So like it, I, I just love that kind of like European take on New York that these games sometimes seem to have, which like, yeah, because this is, you know, we should we should be specific that this is like a rock star Scotland game. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I just love it. I I'm looking around this world, like panning up at the gray, shitty walls and buildings, like the same way I think people do it in like Hyrule and Breath of the Wild when I'm like tunnel vision, like don't care. Gra- <laughs> right. Grass is green, looks pretty great, plateau, awesome. In Manhunt, I'm like, I love this drab wall. I gotta scan. I gotta look all the way up. <laughs> it's so nice. Um, yeah. So the first, I would say the first couple levels really aren't specific at all in their location like it's just kind of introducing you to the city you know the first the first level you almost don't do anything you kill like three people and it's it's more or less a tutorial and then and then you have a couple more it feels like it the game actually doesn't really start improper until like level four like level one two and three feel like kind of a protracted experience of just getting your bearings within this game uh, I agree, and also level four is when the game started kicking my ass, so I guess that's where it, it starts for real. I can't wait to talk about this, because level four is my favorite in the game so far. That was like the level where I was like, I think I'm having fun. I think I'm enjoying this game. Mm-hmm. It's So so level four, uh, one of one of the things we should talk about is it's when you meet the skinhead gang, because there are, like, there are various different gangs across Carcer City that are all basically like you know one thing so there's like there's a latino gang there's kind of like a military Mm. one and this one and this one is the white supremacists and so you've just got a bunch of guys playing kind of the the dumb hick confederate flag uh you know living in trailer park things it's also the level where you first receive a gun uh but it's a nail gun and so it sucks (laughs) um and and what happens is you like you kill a guy in a trailer, you walk in, you get the tutorial for how to use the gun, and then two guys just run out, and they, like, know where you are, and you're in the trailer. And even though they've just given you a gun, this this game is so so brutal on the player character that it's, like, 
when guys are close to you, you don't even have enough room to fire. And so these two guys just like run into the trailer and they know where I am. And it's so close quarters that I can't use the nail gun that the game has just given me. And so I play, you know, played it five times and eventually realized if I run out of the trailer immediately, then I can hide and they kind of lose me and then I can shoot them or whatever. But like this has that that early, you know, the thing that games have done away with where like it will fuck you up in a tutorial. You know, it's like it's telling yeah. you how to do a gameplay system, but it's not going to make it easy to do that system. It's going to like be hard as you're learning how to do something. Well, interestingly, they, I didn't have that problem. They did not come in the trailer for me. Oh, well, like there you go. Maybe I was just making too much noise. So like my the way I got around that was like waiting till one kind of was like behind the trailer or something. And then I would mm -hmm. run out and maybe like quickly hit the other guy and find a shadow to hide in. And they would start a like patrol path, take one out, then usually just fist fight the other one. But yeah, they, mm -hmm. they did not have that like. They did not hone in on me when they, like, jumped in the level. Maybe, I mean, maybe it is that I was just, because this, because the, the pathing is so kind of unpredictable about where they're going to walk, I think it could be that they were just walking right up to the door of the trailer, and I was like, oh, fuck, they're gonna come in here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I would try to attack them or whatever, and in doing so, actually tell them, this is where I am, come and kill me. Um... But that, that I found really challenging, and then the next level, Fueled by Hate, was the one that really got me, because the this level's it's really it's really long, and the main thing that you have to do is there's like there's a big crane mm -hmm. and you have to like bring a gas can to the crane, fill it up, and then use it to like move something that's blocking your path. And so the asshole checkpoints come into play here mm. where just like they are really far apart. Um, and so you have to carry this heavy gas can over and you're kind of putting it down and stealth killing guys and, and then carrying it a little further. And then you get in the crane. And for me, I did not understand how I was supposed to operate the crane at all. And as soon as you do, two guys pop out and start shooting you. And so, like, multiple times, I would get the gas can all the way to the crane, refuel it, get in, and be like, I don't know how to operate this thing, and I'm being shot from multiple directions. Yeah, when I played that one, I, I only failed one time. The gas can part was a little annoying, but usually I just left the gas can where it was and then went and killed mm -hmm. everyone like I, I am the angel of death you know like i just wiped them out then slowly plotted that fucking thing over which takes forever yeah um i failed the crane section and this made me almost throw my computer out a, a window because you have to pick up a refrigerator and there's only one and as i was swinging it around i clicked the button to drop it on someone but i had too much momentum so it hit some geometry in the level, and it messed up the physics, and it flew beyond the bounds of the crane. And then there was no way to get it, get it back or get another one, and I had to just sit there and let them kill me uh, until uh -huh. the end. But I was very frustrated. But it's it's – yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, I don't think level five's super good. There's a section where you have to go down like a – I guess it's like a rock shoot. I'm not exactly sure what the machine is. Yeah, that part is. also I it's... found very hard. Because here's, here's another thing. 
you and enemies will be given the same guns, mm -hmm. but they have more range than you. Yeah. Like, it's like, you can stand, shoot, point your reticule right at someone and shoot them, and the bullet will just not reach them, yeah. and they will shoot the same gun at you, and it will hit you. And so it's like this consistent feeling of, like, you know, I, I kind of like it in that the game is just so unfair towards you, you yeah. know, that they're giving the enemies advantages that you do not have. However, level four, I like a lot, because I think it's where this game... You, it clicks in your brain that's like i don't want to overspeak but this game is very lightly an immersive sim it is not to the level of mm -hmm. oh sure but yeah. It, yeah it's not to the level of like a deus ex or certainly not a dishonored but like level four you start to realize i have several options of how to do anything and once I, like that clicked in my brain which was level four in the junkyard I had a blast. There's a section towards the end where you kind of need to get to a um, just like a shed to open a gate, and then you can leave the level. And there are gas canisters strewn throughout, and then there are just like a shit ton of dudes wandering around. And like being like, okay, there's actually a guy next to this gas canister, and I know there are three other guys far away, but I'm not sure where they are. I'll just shoot this gas tank, take him out, but it'll cause a huge sound which will make the rest of them congregate. And at one point, I just, like, I messed up. And these gas cans became my best friend. I messed up and start, had to run from, like, three of them. And as I was running, I was like, I realized I was passing a can, quickly 180'd, shot it, and blew them all up and was able to hide from, like, the last one or two there and, like, take them out normally. Like, I started having a lot of fun, you know, solving the puzzles they were giving me in my own ways, right. which was a little surprising because for the first three levels, Manhunt feels very like slowly walk from A to B and kill one guy. Yeah, like, there's like one way to do things. Yeah. I will say, I also, I love the gas cans, except the auto aim will always yeah. point at an enemy and not at the can. Yeah. And you're like, he's one foot away. Let me just shoot the can. <laughs> you can't do it. You start realizing the game is like, sometimes giving you those tricks like you'll see a guy and there will be no way behind them and you're like i don't really want to engage with this head on and then you start to like just like explore a little bit and be like oh he's standing next to an environmental hazard like this becomes the mm -hmm. solution and the game like actually creates these like really fun little playgrounds which three levels later it basically abandons because it's like here's a bunch of guns we're gonna stop being fun now but for like right. a crucial hour the game is like pretty freaking cool and there's, there is a big emphasis on sound, mm -hmm. you know, like in, in that if you, if you run, you know, you create, you have kind of a radar and so you can see how loud the actions are, you know, and how, how far away people can hear you. Um, but also you can intentionally like hit walls or like kick garbage cans yeah. and make a big sound and you'll kind of disrupt the normal pathway that an enemy is walking and they'll walk over there and they'll come back you can you can move enemy bodies and you can like leave them in places that you know mm -hmm. another guy will see and then they'll run up to them and then you can sneak behind them and like bop them in the head you know it's like there are for how few kind of verbs you have in this game it is impressive like, that there are many ways to approach any given situation. And I'm sure if I watched, like, a five-star run-through of a level, you know, people would be using all of those to kind of, like, exploit the AI in, in 15 different ways.
one of my tactics when I go in a level is like this game is not going to tell you where anyone is and every now and then a guy might like whistle a little tune and you'll see him on your radar for five seconds uh-huh. so I'm just like walking through a level just like knocking on walls just being like okay yeah. there's one of them they're coming over like I'm just knocking on everything like a madman it is it is hilariously it has that that stealth game thing of like guy will like see his dead friend and be like what's going on here and then like 30 seconds later it's like mm, probably nothing and like wander back yeah. in a different direction so the story of this game it's bare bones but it's there and there's a part of yeah, it there's some interesting moments that i want to talk about there's a part of it yeah there's a part of it this story i really like and it basically happens every level and it's like if you've played you're playing a video game you know when you finish level two it's not over but in the narrative of the game there's this implication that james seems to think if i just do this thing this will be over i will finally be free and the game is constantly like okay thanks you did the thing now here's the next thing he's con he's in but he's effectively in hell like he just cannot get out of mm-hmm. this cycle which i really enjoy like considering the the message Cantamessa and Alan seem to want to give here about like the player and developer's role in game violence where like the player literally cannot get out of this. Nothing you do like finally makes the director be like, "All right, you're free to go." The, you end a level and this they look like I don't know, a a SWAT team shows up and they basically yep. apprehend you. You know, they they completely take what's little autonomy you had in these levels to do whatever you wanted they just steal it and take you to the next place and you just keep going Mm -hmm. and going and i find that like a really clever little trick to basically be like you're stuck here and then what is you know what's kind of even more interesting is when you get used to that rhythm of like okay i finish a place i get pulled into a van they knock me out i go to the next place Mm -hmm. that's kind of it then in the seventh level he's like Hey, James, I got a surprise for you. I have your family here. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, not not only have did you have no idea that this guy had a family. It's like, you have never heard James Cash speak. <laughs> a plot like twist he, in the game. He talks. You know, it's, it's like he has a voice. And so you have you have this thing where there, there are four people tied up who you never get any, like any more detail on than like hey it is your family and if you get spotted the guy you know one of the enemies will just run in and like blow their head off you know and so it is like a kind of compulsory stealth level except unlike maybe some other games the level does not end and you don't auto fail when someone kills your family yeah and so like i i did that level I got two of them out, two of them died, and then at the end of the level, the director's like, ah, two out of four? Well, could have been worse. And, like, that's how, I, that's how the level ends. I was able to save all of them, which I was a little surprised about because I, I did get spotted one time, and I was like, eh, maybe this mm-hmm. just bugged out. Um, I saved all of them. I think that level's really cool. You're in a zoo, um, and you can yeah. get tranquilizer darts to Mm -hmm. you know put guards to sleep and then you have to run up and kill them otherwise i assume they will wake up um but going back to my earlier point about like the loop james is stuck in you save your family and then like two levels later in a mall the director is like hey go find a camera go find a tv and the family you saved 
they're killed for the snuff film. And I'm like, there, there is no way out. Nothing you do matters. It is something rotten to the core. Like everything you tried to do an hour ago was like basically pointless, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. I mean, and there is, you know, I, I I also, (laughs) this is one of the things, you know, this game almost gets away from some of the rockstar stuff because there are uh, no women in it for like a long time. And then it's like, well, the two the two members of your family that are women that are tied up are like they're in like underwear and a bra or yeah. whatever in in seemingly the like rock star cannot make a woman even one who's supposed to be like battered and taken hostage who's not like oh but it's kind of hot i'm pretty um, sure it's but... like cheetah print underwear and she's also got like the hips of like a teenage boy's dream woman like she's it, it's like they have they have like one female model <laughs> yeah. and they just like put that on everything but what is what is so funny and what what we talked about is like you know so you if you successfully stealth kill all the enemies around them you can free your family and he's like go on get out of here which wouldn't be weird except he has literally not spoken for the entire game thus far and suddenly is just like get run go it's it's so it's like it's not treated like anything but as the player i was just like i have a voice what's going on so i i looked up the actor here um Mm -hmm. and it's kurt bouchio which i thought would be um it would be interesting to see if they ever did anything else and basically all i can um see here is they were in rockstar games that was that's just all they seemed to do. So it almost felt to me like it was just like there was someone with a gruff voice on the dev staff and they were like, hey, why don't you do this? Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if that's the case here, but like it, it they hired Brian Cox to be the director. Didn't feel like they hired anyone to be James Cash. He just kind of has a voice. So what seems to be happening is they were just a motion capture actor that Rockstar had because mm. they're. He's in Max Payne 2, which was published by Rockstar, um, Red Dead Revolver, The Warriors, Manhunt 2, and then also has credits for the movie Stepmom with uh, Susan Sarandon and Julia Roberts. Oh, we gotta we gotta watch that movie and see who moves like James Earl Cash. <laughs> yeah, in Holy Man with Eddie Murphy, which I guess is like an HBO movie. Anyway, anyway, so I wonder if he if he was just like a. a struggling actor in new york that rockstar kept hiring or maybe was it right. like was a mocap like worked on the mocap team and just like provided his voice or something a thing a thing that i read about this that i thought was interesting because of you know that this game was made in 2003 was they said everything except the walking was motion captured uh which essentially means all of the kill animations because there's not a oh. lot of animation in the game other than the kill animations and walking but you could, you know, watching those, you can totally imagine yeah. two guys in kind of an early version of a motion capture studio acting out being strangled by a bag or hit by a hammer or what have you. I would be so interested to hear about those mocap sessions because some of the stories behind like the GTA 3 mocap sessions are really interesting because that, that tech was like really primitive. Rockstar was pretty ahead of its time like using that and a few other developers obviously like we're using mm-hmm. mocap but like i've heard stories about like 
if we wanted characters to hug, they couldn't actually touch each other. So, like, they would have to, like, mimic the hug individually. It would be really fascinating to hear, like, how they had to mocap a guy being fucking hit with a hammer in the face. Basically, basically every story of early mocap, but I mean, even up until a couple of years ago, is, like... Even if we motion captured something, we had to do twice as much work on top of it to make it look like anything. Yeah. You know, that it, like, it was not a shortcut in any way. It just kind of added on to, to animated stuff. Um, the one other kind of level-specific thing that I want to talk about before we... I, I kind of want to talk about, like, the wider reception mm -hmm. to this game. But there is an escort mission level uh, that has a character that uh, looks like Blake Hester. Okay, so I want to point out, it does look like me. Importantly, it more closely resembles me in, like, 2018 before I got sober. <laughs> you know, if you, if you haven't seen my face since then, it definitely looks a lot like me. I'd like to think I look slightly better now. However, when I saw the, 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 the tramp, as the character is called, I immediately screen capped this into to Jacob. I was like, I can't believe I'm in this game. <laughs> and it's I. So when I first saw that, I I, I did not think, oh, it's Blakester. <laughs> I did think, oh fuck, like this game is hard enough. It's going to be uh, an escort mission level, but it's weirdly not in that they basically. They give him the ability to hide perfectly mm. for almost the entire level, where it's like, you have a little subsection, you can tell him to hide in the shadows, go kill everyone, and then just call him, yeah. you know, to, to go to the next section, which makes me think one of two things. One, maybe at one point it was more annoying, and then they kind of walked it back because they were like, it sucks to have to do an escort mission, or two... Is he there for a story purpose? You know, like, what they wanted was not necessarily the gameplay of having to escort someone, but, like, the the emotional connection of, like, working with a homeless guy. Because it is the only friendly person in the game. Yeah. You know, it's like he's the only guy you've ever seen other than your tied up family who doesn't actively want to kill you and is kind of like hey thanks buddy when you like and you know <laughs> let let him free i feel like knowing this game they're going to kill him horribly later on sure. in in some way but you know for that level i was kind of like this is interesting that they're giving me like almost a human connection it's funny though that james hates him like every time oh, james yeah. talks to him at one point he's like Hurry up or I'll kill you myself. And I'm like, I kind of feel you right now, James. I do not want to be walking <laughs> this man around. However, though, I will say Rockstar was gracious enough to make the following on the, the tramp very good. There's none of that thing where they kind of get lost if you get like go too fast away from them. They will. Yeah, they will follow. You could like be a mile away from this dude. and He will perfectly follow you to where you need to go. Mm -hmm. um, I like that level it's a lot. I think it's right before two of the. Not worst levels, because there are definitely levels that are more... Or it's, it's in between them. Yeah. Because it's in between the two gun levels. Which, like, are not the hardest or most frustrating, but definitely where this game seemingly abandons what makes it cool. Yeah, I kind of... I liked the first gun level because essentially it was like, oh, I'm getting to go loud, you know, in a yeah. way that was kind of exciting, where it's like the previous seven levels have all been the slow sneaking you know bop them in the back of the head and this one is like you are given 
a significant amount of ammo and you can shoot people with a revolver or shotgun or whatever. But it certainly runs into the thing where enemy's range is longer than your range. And it's also just like you can't play strategically with guns, mm. you know, like it's it, it you can't you can't really like fool the AI in the same way. And so by the time it gets to the second one, it is just like, oh, this again. There is also a part in the 10th level, the last level we played where the end of that is basically like, hey, there are 20 guys outside this one door. And the director is like, figure it out. <laughs> and it's a yeah. nightmare. It is like... And sometimes you you can't get them to chase you. Like, they'll yeah. stay in their place. And so you can't, like, lure them into the area that you're it's, in. Yeah. It, I, I don't know how you're supposed to do it correctly because i felt like i was just like kind of using the game's jank to get through yeah just kind of busting a door open shooting and then letting the door close before they can shoot back it's um it's -hmm. a bummer because i feel like this game constantly feels like it's on the cusp of being like a really interesting stealth game and then it does stuff like that where it's like okay now it's slog you know which is kind of like it's it's a like honestly a rock the rockstar experience it's also a, a game from 2003 you know experience yeah. where it's like mm-hmm. this this is on the cusp of being great and now you're like force feeding me this like shit that is not the strength of your game which is like two of yeah. these levels kind of back to back yeah and so that is i feel like that's a good segue into uh talking about i i spent a while the other day just reading reviews of this game because i was just kind of curious you know it's like we're we're taking it in in 2022 obviously we have expectations of like what games are like what did people think in 2003 and the thing that i was struck by most of all was kind of that everyone even when it came out was treating it like one of these like this is a quote unquote important game yeah you know it's it's not it's not just a game that's releasing that we're evaluating its gameplay and story it's like it was already kind of mired in controversy on release. And so a lot of the reviews are referencing, do games cause violence in real life? Should there be censorship laws on mm-hmm. what's, you know, able to buy? You know, these are these are the movies, these are the other media that have faced this kind of thing, which is just like, it's interesting to see that conversation happen in 2003 and with Rockstar, which when was hot coffee it would have been after this i believe san andreas was 2004 gotcha yeah it's you know like so something i looked up earlier yeah san andreas was october 2004 so it would have been the next year um though i believe hillary clinton who got involved with hot coffee i believe also got involved with manhunt was part of some of the um senators that were trying to get the game banned maybe that was manhunt too but an interesting Mm -hmm. correlation hillary clinton has a history with going after rockstar games as do many other senators and you know lawyers and whatnot but um yeah because this was certainly i mean we'll talk about uh more this was a big jack thompson game who's kind of the infamous attorney who was trying to get games banned um but yeah go on something so you brought up kind of i guess the the way this game was seriously evaluated um by critics like i think the chicago tribune review that you've referenced that i'm sure we'll talk a little more about and the toronto star review are like you have there's some really cool passages in there where these critics Mm -hmm. are like really thinking about this game like very critically and 
I do think a lot of that only comes from the fact that at this point, like because of GTA three and Vice City, like Rockstar had a very strong cultural cachet, like in the mainstream. And, you know, you can you can argue a lot of that comes from hey, we're taking games seriously. These were like very like, you know, revolutionary games or whatever. I think a lot of it has to do with the voice talent they got in their games, you know, like you get a lot of these like very respected actors to be in a video game and you mimic a lot of like I don't know, Michael Mann or like Martin Scorsese, and you can kind of trick the broader world in 2001 into being like, oh, should we take games more seriously? But point being, yeah, I mean, point being, Postal 2 came out in April of the same year as Manhunt, and like, there was a lot of the conversations like, are video games too violent? Should we ban this? But no one was like, I, I don't know of anyone being like, we need to take the game Postal 2 where you can use a cat butt as a silencer. Do you have a like bigger conversation about like games and art and violence, but Manhunt because it comes out on the heels of like Rockstar kind of cementing its place in pop culture. Like it was afforded a more nuanced conversation than a lot of games got twenty years ago, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, I think what you can read in those reviews is people are responding to or maybe even anticipating the criticism of this game is is culturally toxic you know mm-hmm. that like this this game is so violent and so heinous that it shouldn't even exist and so these reviews are written kind of like arguing why it should exist as much as they're arguing it is a good game or not i'll i'll read the section from the toronto star one which i just think is is so like it's just such a fun passage Um, So Ben Rayner wrote, As entertainment and cultural artifact, Manhunt is totally disturbing. But so is the evening news, the I'll-eat-anything-for-money lunacy of Fear Factor, and the unfettered misanthropic gunplay of Bad Boys 2. So I will defend until my last breath Rockstar's right to sell this stuff to me and anyone else who wants it. Do I think games such as these could have dire psychological consequences, particularly for young people? As always, I remain agnostic on the matter. Who knows, really? The debate will never be resolved. The American military obviously thinks there's something there. The troubling new TV ad campaign for the U.S. Reserves lures potential young soldiers with tales of adventure accompanied by blatant video game-styled animation. And curiously, no one has complained about or tried to ban SOCOM U.S. Navy SEALs in which stealth and killing figure even more heavily than in Manhunt. Yeah, that's honestly, it's spitting fire. (laughs) And and worth pointing out, Ben Rayner is an incredibly respected music critic. Um, So this is not like, this is not like a freelance, like game reviewer. Like this is a Mm -hmm. like very respected cultural critic. I honestly don't know a ton about him other than like, he's very respected, but like, um, that is the kind of like weight this game was able to pull in terms of what mainstream press or who mainstream press was getting to review it. And I think that's important yeah. because, look, I work at a large video game magazine. I assume maybe Toronto Star gave it a more nuanced take than, like, you know, no offense, IGN or GameSpot or Game Informer may have given it in 2003. And I, I think this game deserves it. Like, the point being, I think, mm-hmm. like, this game, especially back then, was, like, deserving of deeper and more thoughtful critical analysis and it definitely got it it maybe didn't sway the overall conversation about it at that time but it's like i think it's important to have people like ben rayner like really dissect it and 
kind of put it in its place culturally compared to, you know, SOCOM and Bad Boys 2 and like these these kind of other touch points of the time that he brought up. Um, and yeah. I think he comparing it to what like Christian Canamessa said about like his goals with the game, which whether or not he was necessarily successful in those aside, it's, it's good to see some critics picked up on it. And it's good to see some people mm-hmm. seem to get the message beyond like this is a snuff simulator, which it's it's kind of it, it is, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I also I, I want to, you know, not my feelings don't totally align with Rainer. And honestly, I don't like I don't know how I feel about this game yet. You know, like I am really I'm I'm really interested in, in how the, the following 10 levels and the kind of like sure. end uh, will will figure on my feelings, because I do think, you know, I I think he's right in saying that there are lots of misanthropic things that we uh, consume all the time. I also think that it's not the critical end point to say this has a right to exist. Sure. You know, it's like, I agree that it does. I don't know if that makes it good. I think something can have a right to exist and also be bad for society. Um, and, And I kind of am unsure where I land yet on Manhunt. I also... Uh, definitely think you know he says he's agnostic on the the issue of if video games cause violence yeah weird take (laughs) i also i don't have the answer to that yeah i don't think uh i think we should care about it yeah you know it's like it's something that i think about all the time uh whether whether or not they do um but given given the cultural climate of games especially in the kind of like late 90s early 2000s there being so much kind of moral panic over it in the the same time as like the satanic panic and everything else being like video games are a tool for corrupting our youth you know i do think i do think that it's important to have people saying stuff like that um i i also i want to read the passage from levi buchanan who i believe is a writer and director like he makes movies now perhaps i don't know again kind of an interesting group of people (laughs) writing about this game back Mm -hmm. in the day but i like uh their passage as well where they they said if manhunt succeeds at retail it will say more about america's fascination with violence than any political discourse or social debate that makes Manhunt the most important video game of the last five years, which I think history proved him wrong, but it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, it's like it's like the, the point being people were making grand proclamations about this yeah. game when it came out, whether or not it deserved it. Well, but you know what? Like when I put my when I think about what was happening at that time around Manhunt, like kind of Manhunt's one of the forgotten not, it's it's not as forgotten as maybe the warriors or some of their like shovel war wear back in the day, but like Manhunt's kind of this like weird artifact of Rockstar history. But when it came out, it was a big deal and not like for good reasons. Like it was a very controversial game. It was another in a slew of games that like right wing media and politicians were latching onto to be like this is you know a social poison this is going to corrupt children yeah. and make them killers and as we'll talk about soon it was tied to a real murder case falsely so like when i when i put my brain in that 2003 mindset like you can kind of start to understand why some of these writers were like really taking it seriously and making sure. like bold claims because in 2022 we know manhunt just 
it kind of fit, it kind of went away and only Blake and Jacob think about it. But like back then yeah. you were turning on the news and, you know, Glenn Beck was probably, you know, clutching his pearls about like how this game was going to breed new serial killers and shit. So like it yeah. makes sense to me that people would be like, we need to have a big conversation about this game. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk about the controversy first. First, the kind of, more fun stuff which was uh, this was banned in new zealand on australia uh, australia a pretty frequent banner of video games so like not super surprising there new zealand as well um something that i found really interesting was in ontario it was and this is this is just like it's weird enough that i feel like i don't totally understand what's going on here but it was classified as a film and then rated R. Well, you're making a snuff film, Jacob. That's the point of the game. Oh, that's right. Okay, so they were they were reviewing the director's final <laughs> yeah. product, um, I, which I think speaks to maybe and and this is kind of a running theme of these early video game controversies of like the rating system of games both not being understood and maybe not having a lot of power or not mm. being like followed through on. Where my guess is. The reason that they chose to rate this video game R is it would make it harder for children to, like, rent or buy it oh, from sure. a blockbuster. Because even though this game was rated M, but, like, if, if you know, if parents didn't know what M meant or if store employees didn't really give a shit when they were, like, selling games, maybe rating it R would have, uh, a, you know, more of an effect. What's What's really fascinating is... You know, Ontario did this, and then British Columbia uh, also had a discussion on it, what should be done with the game. And you can read their, like, their kind of decision on it, which is just, like, a really interesting piece of writing. Because, one, they consistently call it an interactive motion picture, which I just find is interesting in itself. Um, but then they say, essentially... Uh, you know, while there is little disputing the brutal and violent nature of these scenes, the determinative question is whether or not this brutality is depicted in a realistic and explicit manner. And then they talk about the video game Soldier of Fortune, which oh, is yeah. one of these, you know, which came out in 2000 and was and kind of still is famous for like having a whole bunch of different locations on your body that you could, like, hit and injure, and you could, like, cut off limbs if you, like, hit them with your knife, and, like, getting shot in the chest was different than getting shot in the leg and all that. And they're, like, compared to Soldier of Fortune, Manhunt is kind of uh, silly and not realistic yeah. in that it's, like, you can get beat up more than is realistic. They say... um uh, the execution scenes are usually no longer than two or three seconds. Um, the weapon and point of impact are not clearly visible to the viewer. Uh, the available animation portraying body and tissue damage is limited and does not approach the level of sophistication required for a realistic depiction. And so they're saying kind of what I felt like playing this, which is like it's gross, but mm -hmm. it's only gross in like it's only literally gross in the level that a PS2 can allow. And a lot of the kind of like awful feeling of the game is by it's implying it you know mm -hmm. like the way it's shot makes it look more violent than the animations actually are because it feels like it's hiding the worst parts of it from you and so it's i i just found it really interesting to see this kind of like british columbia film board be like what's happening in the game is not 
that horrible compared to other video games yeah it's really just like the context of it that is making it feel so gratuitous i mean honestly you slap a shitty digital camcorder like filter over anything and it's going to look nastier and i don't necessarily mean that as a joke you know like kane and lynch 2 proved that yeah and and when we see like you know people making videos of like the back rooms in unity you know it's like they put a vhs filter over that and suddenly it looks more real and more genuine because they're applying this level of like real worldness something i've been thinking about and i don't have the answer to this but like i have been thinking about maybe the outside influences this game had beyond clockwork orange you know and like running man and some Mm -hmm. of the stuff that's been brought up and one of the things i was thinking of as probably directly influential even if it wasn't intentional is right around this time and we're the next episode we're going to talk more about like snuff film as a genre and kind of a cultural boogeyman but like i think one thing worth bringing up and we talked about it a bit with kane and lynch too as well was this was right around it was a couple years after but still within the big wave of shock sites uh my favorite topic Mm -hmm. in the world but like crucially Agrish was around at this time, which effectively became Live Leak, which we saw as like pretty directly insp- influential to like Kane and Lynch too. Agrish was like the predecessor to that. Live Leak was basically created by a lot of the same founders. And like the day Agrish shut down, Live Leak started. So they're basically one in the same. If if anyone listening to this is blessed enough to not know Sorry, what yeah. they are, could you give just like a 30 second description? They basically are sites where you would go see footage from war zones, assassinations, murder, like execution stuff like that like um I, I i it's it's hard because i don't want to go like too graphic but think about you know more recently isis videos that have come out that circulated on the internet or um or mass shootings augrish was an early site where that footage would be hosted you know um i'm sure you can put two and two together here um so this stuff was all happening around the time manhunt came out and manhunt does feel if not directly inspired by some of that stuff at least kind of reminiscent of what would have been hitting the internet at this time and honestly you think about like this game is made by a bunch of guys in their 20s who were already making edgy violent taboo content like, it's hard to not look at that stuff and look at some of the aesthetic choices and be like, this is directly inspired. This is like following in the footsteps of some of the shit hitting the internet these days, which I think like was probably already a talking point for like media to be like, hey, what is going on on the internet? Why is this like unfettered violence hitting? And then here's a game that's kind of directly mimicking it. And it sucks because the worst people get involved, like Jack Thompson and Glenn Beck and like these dumbass dipshits. But like, it's probably, yeah, it did scare the shit out of some people because it's like, oh my yeah. God, my child is also watching fucking beheading videos on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's playing them. Like, yeah, it's Absolutely. probably scary. Augrish might be kind of a deep cut. I would say if anything, if any of, I was right about any of this, it was probably actually Rotten.com. They were more inspired by, which was like a main, mm. a big mainstream thing at this point, but. Neither here Look, nor if there. If anyone's finding the deep cut uh, horrible videos online, <laughs> it was sure. the developers of Manhunt. Yeah, and one um, little man in Minneapolis who just keeps reading about them. That's right. Um, so the the biggest story related to this game, uh, what deserved not uh, 
fabricated who knows um is there was a um a murder case in which a a 17 year old boy killed a 14 year old boy yeah. in a fairly awful uh manhunt-esque way and uh as the story originally came out um the the murderer they said had a copy of manhunt and more than that he was obsessed with it um and and the victim's mom said that uh it blurred the lines of reality and game um and the the victim's dad said that because manhunt's scoring system encouraged uh, over the top executions that's yeah. why this real life murder was so uh intense and and graphic um it is a a horrible situation uh <laughs> there's there is never any good way that something like this can happen um it did come out later that uh it was not the murderer who owned manhunt in fact it was the victim um and the uh the police reported uh that it was it was purely a a a, a drug driven uh, murder which is also very sad and horrible yeah. but uh but basically denied any connection to the game however uh that did not stop the media cycle from uh really connecting these two things as we've talked about uh jack thompson the notorious video game attorney got involved he said there were dozens of killings in the u.s by children who had played these types of games he said these types of games are basically murder simulators um which is actually maybe true uh, for the second part of that, that yeah. it is a murder simulator. But uh, the dozens of killings thing is uh, totally made up. And, and you know, of, of all of these studies that have been done connecting video games and real-life violence, obviously none of them have found any kind of connection as direct as it makes you want to commit murder in real life. Mm -hmm. Um but it was it was a huge story, and when Manhunt Two came out, the victim's family again, you know, kind of kind of came and said, "I don't think this game should come out," and it and it seems fucked up. And you know, even though I will say, even though the the uh, game was owned by the victim, you know, I don't think I don't think we can say that it's impossible that the mm. murderer played Manhunt. Uh, but it is, you know, like, like Doom or any number of other games, you know, like there is this desire when, when something horrible happens to kind of find the media connection that explains it, quote unquote. And yeah. it, it just seems in this case that Manhunt was the thing that, that people found that, that made it make sense. Yeah, it's, it's, you know one in a long list of bands, musicians, movies, games that like get tied to a real world crime as in an effort to quickly explain why it happened. Next episode, we'll talk about a different case that like almost like reflects this one one-to-one, -one, except it's about a movie. Um, but I think that's an interesting point to bring up a quote from Cantamessa about the violence when he was asked about it and like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of where he sits on the violence in the world he created. And he said in that masterclass, Manhunt was a game about our culture today, and in video games in particular, it was almost a contemplation of violence. 
we were trying to say something about violence and we were trying to say something about the role of the player and the role of the game makers in creating violence. Sorry, it's a bit of a long quote. That's why we have the, that's why we have the voice talking to you. And mostly the things that he's asking you to do, they're vile and violent, and they're for his gratification and the gratification of the audience. But you don't have to do them. We put a violence meter in the kills so that if you wanted to get the job done or not even kill people, you could. Of course, everybody's going for the deadliest. And so we were thinking, what does that mean to people? What does that mean when you're playing the game? Are you going to say this is a violent game? Or are you going to be saying, I'm a violent person because I'm playing the game this way? And then later he says, I think that the time wasn't right to have this particular conversation with people and does acknowledge some of the reevaluation of the game. And I always find this stuff really fascinating because on the one hand, like, sure, I completely can buy that that was the developer's mission statement and I can see that in the game. I don't always think it's the player's responsibility to pick up on that. And that doesn't mean you're not like a media savvy or media literate if like a very violent video game that is posturing itself as like enjoy the gore if that goes over your head it's fine like i don't always think like that's at the fault of the player to not always get that i do think though where i i bump up against it is where like that conversation is lost on people especially when like certain press outlets get a hold of it and they don't seem to try to evaluate the work beyond like blood guts gore kill like that's yeah, i think is a bummer I, but like i guess what i'm saying is like if you played manhunt back in the day and you didn't think very critically about it like i don't think that's your fault as noble as rockstar north's intentions might have been or whatever statement they might have wanted to say with it yeah i do i i think it's a little bit of a cop-out uh sure. you know i mean for one this game gives you a one to five star rating based on how violent you are. Mm -hmm. And like you unlock the bonus levels by doing better. Right, so yeah. like the game is clearly incentivizing you to be more violent, you know, and, and I just, it, it kind of rings the same way to me as like, you know, when, when people are like, uh, Oh, you know, the, the good ending to Spec Ops The Line is just to not finish that game. You know, yeah. like, that's what it's like. Well, that's not how media works. You know, it's yeah. like no one decides, like, I'm going to put this down because it's, like, the morally correct thing to do. So I do I do think it's an interesting uh, take. And I, I think certainly in something like Grand Theft Auto, when people say uh, this is a game about, like, running over sex workers in a car. It's like, nothing in the game incentivizes you to do that. That is totally a player-driven decision. Mm -hmm. In Manhunt, there is an incentive to kind of be more of a sicko. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes it more interesting. But I also think it maybe makes it harder to make that claim. Sure, but I do think, like... The claim makes me appreciate Manhunt more. Like, obviously, we sure. make a podcast about nihilistic video games. But, like, mm -hmm. you know, if, if we were, like, really adherent to the definition of something rotten, we would just play Hatred and it'd be one season and we'd be done. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, like the fact that we aren't doing that means, like, you know, Manhunt, there is value in thinking about Manhunt through the lens that Kanemasa offers. Now, granted, he said that 20 years after the game came out. Like, who knows if mm -hmm. he 
this that's how he feels about the game now or like he's just saying that like maybe back in the day he was like let's just make the murder something i don't i don't know explicitly i would like to think he's telling the truth but like i think there is value in him in knowing that that's what he says his mission statement was and like i think there's an easy argument that making the game the violence of the game fun and incentivizing you to do it backs up his message where it's like, hey, think about why you're doing this. Like, is it really worth it to subject yourself to all this stuff just to get a bonus level? Like, is it really worth it? Narratively, does it make sense? Or would James just like run through and kill people quickly just to try to get to the end of it? Like, I think whether it delivers on that or is successful is neither here nor there. I'm not really sure where I feel yet. I still have 10 levels to play, but I do think it's like, a relatively smart idea that Manhunt's tackling and makes me like appreciate the game more than I did before I had kind of heard him say that where I was like, you know, obviously this is a game that's something about violence and I was trying to piece it together. But when I heard that, I was like, okay, there, there's a smart idea here. And then it's just up to like, you know, player discretion as to whether or not it's effective or it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. So that's where I sit on it. Yeah, I think it's a cool I, quote. I really like it. Um, I think I think that's a great point, and and makes me like I am immensely curious in where this game goes in the next yeah. ten levels. If if it is just more of the same, if it if it develops kind of a, a more explicit thesis, mm-hmm. how it's going to end. If we're gonna see uh, our our boy Kester looking friend again, uh, <laughs> so many questions about it uh, that we will answer in the next show and also i'll say right now that next show is available right now you can you can download it it's out you don't have to wait a week so i haven't if you enjoyed this one uh yeah we have we don't know what's in it yet but you (laughs) can follow up right now and you should because jacob we're gonna be talking about real snuff films well actually we're not because as we'll get into we'll argue about whether or not (laughs) real snuff films exist but we will be talking about snuff which is I don't know how you feel about it. I find it infinitely fascinating subject, and I think it's interesting to consider where this fits into the snuff canon. Which jo- join I... us on our quest to get banned from every podcast. <laughs> join us on our quest to get banned from the internet. Um, but there is so so the the course of this miniseries because we kind of do these in miniseries is uh manhunt one is going to have two episodes manhunt two is going to have two episodes and then we're going to have an extra kind of bonus episode where we talk about further connections media related to this basically i think it's going to be blake telling me about a bunch of fucked up media that he likes um and that is going to be that's going to be available exclusively on the nebula feed of this podcast for this season and every season in the future, there is, it'll always be available, you know, like the main feed episodes. You can listen to those, any podcast player. If, however, you go to Nebula, you can sign up, you can get an RSS feed for our podcast. You'll be able to listen to it there, ad free, all of that stuff. And you will get this extra special bonus episode at the end of the season. And so if you're already subscribed to Nebula, it's right there. You can just do that. If you don't want to pay, though, there will be a season finale where we'll do, like, listener questions, which will be very fun. Oh, that's right. That as well. Those are those were really fun last time. I'm really looking forward to doing that. If we if you pay enough, uh, Blake and I will uh, create a stuff film of each other. 
That's right. But we no. won't tell you what that number is until we reach it. We'll create a snuff film starring A.J. Moser, and you'll have to figure out who's getting who in that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but that's it. It's something Rotten Season 3. We're back, baby. How do you feel, Blake? I feel great. Uh, I was I was up till 3 a.m. last night because I was stoked to do this. Also, I procrastinated. I'm on holiday break, and I didn't actually do my research until 2 a.m. last night. But nevertheless, I was very excited to start this. But event, he so. came through. I came um, through. So, yeah. Listen, listen to episode two available right now and stay tuned for the rest of the season. Bye.